Hi, uh, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Steve Ip. Uh, I'm a co-founder at Boxcat, and I'm with uh, James here. Hi, I'm James, and nice to meet you, Action. Okay, great. And um, you know, you guys inter- or emailed me because uh, you are going to GDC, and I usually do interviews at uh, at the Game Developers Conference coming up. Um, so, what's what's your game about? Yeah, um, you sent me an email pretty much about uh, working on a new game, or that you're that you're releasing for mobile devices. Can you talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Game is called Nameless the Hackers, and uh, what we're trying to do is uh, create an RPG that is um, basically trying to break conventions. Okay. And you know, uh, make a truly mobile RPG that no one's ever seen before. Yeah, so, so yeah, yeah. a little bit of the game. Um, we we're the the RPG is themed in hackers, and we really wanted to try something a little bit different. I mean, you get a lot of RPGs that are like. Um, medieval based, you know, you can stab a dragon and you can really feel and you can see that it's sort of intuitive. Yeah. But when we actually decided to do something more on a hacker theme, it became very virtual. And it's like, well, how do you how do you damage a computer? What does it look like when it's getting damaged? It's like a computer sitting on the corner. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> and um, I mean, that's bold. I I mean, because uh, one of the things I've, I think I've discussed before on the show um, is the concept of theme. And just even if you have a bad game, but you have a killer theme. You know, you can actually have some kind of success. And oh, wait, what were we going to say? Oh, no, I said absolutely. Yeah. And so, so when you say hackers, that isn't really a proven theme. That that's kind of risky and bold. Um, I mean, is there anything you did to test out whether the theme could have mass appeal or a broad audience, or did you not care about that? Or what are your thoughts on that? Um, You know, to be honest, we were just you know thinking about like what are our strengths. Yeah. And what if we do something that we both had a passion in? And uh, James actually used to come in from the security field. Uh, James, would you like to describe? Yeah, uh, well, this is our first game. And sure. so coming from the security field, I used to do biometric fingerprints. Okay. And we used to do different systems, different securities. You know, you used to set up firewalls. And so you get these, like, government contracts that say, oh, you got to have this type of firewall, these type of specifications, you got to meet these ISO standards. And I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. But from our own background, like just growing up in the 90s, we really had this feel for like what was happening in like the AOL days, the hacker scene, the wares that are being sent out. I mean, we were part of that. No, yeah, absolutely not. I've, yeah. I've never downloaded a car in my life. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so when you, t- when you talk about having a unique uh, RPG to, to mobile, what, what does that exactly mean? Um, you know, how can an, a mobile RPG be different than, say, an RPG on the computer? Or, I mean, what is the distinction? Um, basically, uh, and, and I'm going to say this uh, without actually having checked my facts, so I might sure. be wrong. But <laughs> uh, basically, most of the games I've played on the iOS or even Android or any of these mobile devices, they require a two-hand tactile uh, interaction where there's always a joystick and there's, like, buttons that you press and you sure. interact with. Um, sometimes they have it where you have to hold the, the game in one hand and then draw like where your path is supposed to go and things like that. So that still requires almost a two-hand interaction. Yeah. But our game actually only uses one hand, only. I mean, you can play the entire game with just only one hand and uh, you know, be able to go in line at the bank, um, hopefully not driving, but you, know, you can definitely play the game in the most mobile fashion while you're doing other things. Yeah, so some of our, okay. like, some of our um, design points, we were thinking, well, we, we really want to create an RPG because we're, we're both RPG fanatics. We love RPGs. 
And how do we create a mobile bite-sized RPG? Well, I mean, if you're standing in line at Starbucks, you it's a it's a it's a telltale if you're in a line at Starbucks because you're yeah. using two hands. You're like crouched over your phone and you're like staring at it. And other people are like, oh yeah, he, that guy's playing a game. Like what a nerd. <laughs> Um, so for us, it, uh, what we can, what we were thinking, like you know, how do we make it truly mobile? And we had to decide, you know, do we make a landscape game or do we do a portrait game? We're like, you know what, let's do portrait. And how would we do portrait? Yeah. So then, once we started fumbling with it, we started doing prototypes and trying to figure out, well, how do we get this where you can like hold a coffee in one hand and still play our game? And, and, and that went into our UI design. So basically, a lot of the controls are towards the bottom. You use your thumb to navigate the entire system. Um, a lot of different hotkeys, the skills, the way you do all the battles mechanisms—they're all towards the bottom. Also, left and right uh, switchability. Uh, so you can—if you, you're left-handed, you could actually play our game and have it customized to be left-handed. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. I mean, you see a lot of these RPGs or even games on mobile that are RPGs and they're in landscape mode, you know, versus portrait. So, I mean, how did it feel when you were making a portrait version of this? Did you run into any issues or any concerns? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We we have tons of lessons learned. <laughs> sure. Well, okay, let's start from the top. Or <laughs> well, I think just in, just uh, attacking the uh, landscape and the portrait side was you know a, a lot of people weren't used to it. Yeah. Um, you know, like we, we there there are these other games like Kairosoft. I, I think you can see that Kairosoft really built this uh, game dev story. Yeah, yeah game, game dev. De exactly. That's what I was going to say. And they get they get a nice portrait, and they have the controls on the bottom. So so it's really catered. We're like, well, so how you know what are their successes? And we we tried pulling from there, and when we created the RPG at first, we we're like, well, this doesn't work. Like we weren't we weren't creating the a good intuitive UI at that point. Um, but what really kicked it off was, you know what, keeping everything towards the bottom. Then we started dealing with little glowing icons to give people a, a, an active cue on what they should actually be touching. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. There's a lot of things that went into the development, but um, pr pretty pretty much also it actually ran into the same uh, problem we had making a hacking game is. What does a hacking game look like? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, yeah. I think that's part of it. I think the other thing is that, you know, people are talking about how, you know, mobile, now now people are kind of migrating towards tablets. Like, you look at the most successful iPhone games, and potentially even Android games, I'm not sure, but the people willing to spend money in the game seem to be running it off their tablets. So the example that people bring up is, I don't know if you've heard of Heyday and Clash of Clans. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so those are like some of the, and th supposedly that company is making over a million a day now on the I iOS platform only. And part of it is because they said that they targeted tablet first versus mobile. Um, I mean, was that something you, you also kept in mind or were you mainly focused then on people with smartphones versus say tablets? Uh, or pretty much, uh, I'd have to say that we didn't really make this game to make a bunch of money. Okay. Yeah, we, we, we focused specifically on the phones. Sure. Um, we like granted there there are m many more spenders on, on, on tablet and yeah, people but, willing to buy on the phone, and that, that that does go into the calculation. But we just felt well, let's try and attack an iPhone mobile instead because we could have went Droid. Yeah, no, exactly. Customers on iOS. Do you feel that there's so many? I mean, because I'm looking at mobile. You know, I I talk to other developers about mobile. Do you feel that the mobile market is heavily saturated now? Do you feel there is a lot of opportunity or do you need to be targeting either a new kind of platform, which is tablet, or you know, and, and in your case, you're actually doing something novel with the RPG format? Yeah, we, we definitely feel it's it's definitely very saturated, but we do also feel there there's definitely room for for innovation, you know, and, and yeah. for, for for something new, because the, the way the way I see it is, 
you had sort of a, you know, like when, when video games started back at PC days, they were very simplistic and they started getting more and more mature. Yeah. And you got simple games and you got more complicated games and people started wanting different types of content or more in-depth content. So the way I see the mobile industry is we've actually started with a lot of simple games, a lot of very quick pickup games, puzzle games and whatnot. And I think essentially the audience is starting to mature. Um, you know, I'm really unvalidated in this, but this is just sort of what I'm thinking. Are you targeting uh, hardcore RPG market players, or are you ta- are, are you targeting kind of the casual RPG players, kind of like the people who play those zoo, like Tap Zoo or, or Campus yeah. Life or something else like that? We're actually targeting a little bit of both. Okay. <laughs> uh, during development, we actually uh, were swearing at our game multiple times when we got our butt kicked by our own algorithms. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, um, the, the interesting thing is... Um, you know, a, a majority of people that play games on the phone are the people that play, you know, uh, Nightclub Story or, or, you know, like one of those kind of games where, you know, it's just literally a money grabber. But what yeah. we did, uh, designed is an RPG that takes advantage of that sort of format. Because, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, a lot of people kind of seen our game. They're like, this is an RPG. I don't believe it. It looks like a money grabbing kind of game. But it's play it. <laughs> Like where's the in-app purchases, and it's like it doesn't exist. <laughs> well, that's that's also kind of bold because if if you're not going to have in-app purchases, uh, what what business model did you did you choose to go with? Uh, it's actually it's not because uh, it, it's it's pay to own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, because you know I I was reading about Temple Run, and what's interesting about them is they had a paid version initially, and they made it free. And even though they made it free, they actually. Um, got more revenue because it it just gave them more exposure. Um, I mean, did you feel that way or did you just figure that, look, you're going to do the marketing if they buy it, cool. Or did you think about having a demo and, and what's wrong with, with in-app purchases? Because it seems like the companies that make uh, a decent amount and look, you don't have to be predatory. I don't, I don't, people love clash of clans. I talked to some people or someone who, who, who plays it, you know, and, it's not like she feels it's predatory, but yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Because it feels like if you just have a straight paid, a, you know, paid app, there's a cap on the amount you can derive both ways from the relationship. Yeah, actually, we have in-app purchases planned in the future. Uh, it's just that it's not currently implemented in. And also with the in-app purchases, they're never going to be necessary. That's a strong point that I have. Sure. Uh, I used to come from another game company uh, called Nexon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Story. Um, so one of the reasons I left is because I couldn't stand uh, their business practices of ripping off customers all the time. That's how I personally feel. Yeah. But, um, and, and to be fair, a lot of people do like those Nexon games, right? Like oh, Cart yeah. Rider and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I think it, in-app purchases are a very divisive issue for game developers. There's someone who are like, you know, this is the way to go you know, freemium. And then there's other people who just really don't like that concept. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah. going back, oh, go ahead. Uh, coming back to, to like, did we explore these different things? I know that Gabe, Gabe Newell actually recently talked about how making a game free can increase your revenue strands uh, very greatly. So we did take a look at some of those. And, you know, we're, we're sort of just in, we're just starting out. This is our very first game. So we're sort of yeah. experimenting. Um, our first thought was, well, Let's let's shoot something out with quality, or or we're let's let's try this model because we don't know. Uh, yeah. Personally, we haven't tested it. But if you're just starting out in the iPhone market, did you think of maybe just doing some throwaway apps just to get a feel of publishing to the App Store? Or oh, absolutely. Just, okay. 
And can yeah. you talk talk more about it? Maybe suggestions for other developers because I know like there's some developers who listen and like you know like hey let's get the perfect game out first, and they miss out on some of these other nuances that you need to understand about the the app store itself to really take whatever your your great game ideas and and make it succeed. And action, you're absolutely right. And funny story, this game actually started off with us talking about how can we make a two month game. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's because because you know we were like okay you know what we don't we don't know anything we don't you know and, and, and truly our game is still unvalidated so we don't know if the if the market will accept it or not we don't you know yeah, we have no neither idea. of us neither of us have ever actually worked professionally in the gaming industry even when I worked at Nexon I wasn't I wasn't like a coder actually I'm not a programmer I'm okay. actually a musician. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm the that's fine it seems like a very successful people on the App Store actually come out not being developers it might develop being a developer may get in the way sometimes not all the time but yeah. i don't think it seems to matter in the app store <laughs> yeah we have ocd tendencies <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but but coming back to coming back to the topic you're mentioning um trying something out like we really wanted to do something that was two months something that was easy so we can start yeah. iterating and move forward yeah and did did it take less than two months two months to make the game or did you end up having to kind of like the feature creep and some of these other issues yeah, you hit you hit it on you hit it on the nose. Yeah, it, it feature creeps to about eight to nine, I think. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and what were you thinking then? Because you know, I I think what happens is that you've got a you're like, oh, it's going to take two months, and then you know, four months, and then six months, and then what what were your thoughts at that time? What were some of the challenges you were facing? And when did you feel that you finally had a game that you could release? Uh, well, do you want the short version or the long? Long is fine. <laughs> either one, either one. I don't care. You know. Okay. Um, well, we started off taking a look at some of the different games out there. Like, how do we make something simple, easy, fun, very adoptable? So we were thinking sort of a flight game. Okay. Um, so we we're thinking about like uh, Kings League. It's a flash game. Yeah, that's not a flight game. But... Oh, but, but it's a training <laughs> game. You, you have sure. a set of. Characters it's a, it's a resource game. management game, uh, and you basically you're able to train your characters, and then you know. You hit execute and then you watch your reaction, you know, like one of those type of games. So that's what we initially started with. And then um, we said like, wow, this game is really good and there's nothing quite like it on the App Store. So let's go ahead and let's just say that we could model a game like this uh, or for uh, drafts. Yeah, and then just, you know, it's sort of a already proven, it's very successful. And also, you know, we can add our own little innovations on top of it. So that's when we were starting to pick the theme. But, you know, we said to ourselves at the beginning of this project, we're like, we're not going to make an RPG. Because if we did, it's going to take a year or it's going to take longer than that. So as we just started navigating, we're like, well, here's a nice game. And another Flash game that we were looking at is a Masterminds. It, it, it's about bringing the world and, and how you can select different NPCs and they're part of your team. And then you go off and you do a job and you have a percentage of success. And you just say go or no go. And it, it just tells you success or fail. Okay. And then we're like, okay, let's incorporate that. And we started, it just, we just started slope creeping out of control. Oh, yeah. Did you, did you use a prototyping tool or, or what tool did you use to develop uh, the game for the uh, iOS? The tools developed in Cocos 2D. Okay. Uh, probably have to say, uh, need to give a shout out to like um, Ray Wonderlich. It's a really good tutorial site. And we also use uh, Code and Web. They have a texture packing tool, which is definitely worth the money. And then at one point we decided, well, we kind of need a storyline, and so we started writing a story. And then we're like, well, a story's great. And then at that point we're like, well, let's talk about hacking. What are we going to do? Then we 
sort of a MacGuffin mechanism where like, well, this is the grand goal. Otherwise, there's no reason to play the game at all. And then at that point, it starts just continuously spinning out of control. And at one point, we're like, we give up. We're making an RPG. Let's just make an RPG. Okay. And, and we committed to the six to eight month time frame where we're like, well, okay, what will it take to actually make a full blown RPG? And, and what are the different types of art styles or the different? And we actually used mood boards uh, during our, our, our planning and develop uh, planning and design stages. Like, what do we want to make it look like? Uh, one of our inspirations was Phoenix Wright. Okay. Um, Tales of Symphonia, and then we're like, okay, great. Now we're like, well, now we need the artwork. We've got the music. We've got a little bit of interface, and let's put it together. So we built some design documents. We signed on one of our friends that is a sort is a, is an artist, and then we started prototyping all the different battle mechanisms. And going from there, it just kind of continuously spun out of control until. Yeah, actually, we didn't really say that it was an RPG until about like month four. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I because you said you prototyped the battle mechanisms, you know, and you were trying to make it uh, cater to mobile. Was there anything unique or interesting that you had to do with the prototypes, or did you realize as you were prototyping it on mobile that you had to change to make it work well with mobile? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, one of our one of our biggest um, uh, learning experiences is that we first created this game thinking it would just be you tap on a mission and then your, your characters would have to sleep and then they come back when they have enough energy you could tap on another mission so it's very resource management and then we're like well is that fun and then we prototype with a few friends we're like hey try it out they're like well it's not fun and okay. uh, we also had like a pixel people type of mechanism where you, you get an info card here you get an info card there and then you put it together and then you get a new one and we had all these other like collect card type of uh, mechanisms and then we were just like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, go ahead. It was really important for us because if we didn't do that, I think we would have perhaps made something we would not have been especially uh, proud of, at least for our first game. Um, uh, you said your friends didn't like some of the prototypes. What did you do to change them to to kind of turn that opinion around? Uh, one of the prototypes that everybody kept talking about was um, when we actually had a time attack based system. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting actually. We, okay. Basically we tried to make a non RPG the entire time we we were like RPG game in the closet. So we would just dance around the fact that we were RPG. Um, and one of them is this battle system. Yeah. So, so, so cause hacking is very sneaky. You have a computer and they don't know you're about to attack them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost a little bit roguelike. So we're like, okay, so there's this bad guy, and you're going to attack them in certain ways, and you got to choose your moves wisely. And initially, we started off with like a time unit-based system, so you get to choose your move, and then move on, and then choose your move again, and you have time to contemplate the strategies. But what happens is uh, we actually made it into an active time system, where once we gave that to our users, they're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. There's this timer in the background that makes me panic, and I, I, I'm holding it with one hand, and, and they're just they're panicking the entire time and they're just spamming as many moves as they possibly could and they're not really getting any strategy out of it. So that was one of the difficulties where it, it really doesn't, this action time-based uh, panic mechanism uh, forced them away from like strategy and, and it just didn't work well in the mobile environment because they're sort of like in the line and then they're, yeah. they're panicking while they're like like waiting to move forward in, 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 in the queue. And 
Okay, so, so how did you address that issue? Uh, that's actually when we started experimenting with different other moves. We're like, well, let's just make an RPG system. So we decided to make something a, a little bit more simplistic. And, and one of the things that we had talked about, but we did not adopt, was paper, rock, scissors. You have a certain uncertainty element of what the other player is doing versus what you're going to do next. Okay. So it's you you now have it where it's there's no time and it's a turn-based kind of RPG system. I, we didn't even have hit points before. I mean, we had to put that in. <laughs> sure. We were like, okay, forget it. We're an RPG. And we started implementing RPG devices. And then the game started just making sense. <laughs> okay. And then how did the, the – P- did you take the revised version to those same players? I mean, how did they respond? Um, could you tell the huge difference or were there still some other changes you needed to make? Uh, um, there was definitely a huge difference and definitely still things that we had to change at that point. Uh, the huge difference was that they were like, well, I have time to think about my moves now. Yeah. Um, the fact that there was an enemy HP and also a player HP gave them sort of a mechanism so that they know that I have to do or they defeat me. Um, whereas before we had this timer mechanism where the player didn't have any HP at all. You just had to beat the enemy within the time frame. Okay. So, so afterwards they were like, this is much more intuitive. It, it, it's, it's much more RPG driven. Um, it felt like it was already, uh, already known to them what type of a game they were playing. And were these players that you had testing it out, were they hardcore kind of RPG players already or were they casual RPG players? Were they casual gamers or hardcore gamers? Um, actually, like, we actually are part of a, an L.A. indie developers group. Okay. Uh, so we meet with people such as, uh, and I'm just going to start name dropping, so I'm sorry. But <laughs> uh, people like Brendan Chung, you know, from um, Blendo Games. Blendo oh, yeah, Games. yeah. He's uh he's one of our friends. Uh, so is the uh, seventeen bit, seventeen bit guys. They re- recently released the uh, Shoguns, uh, Skulls of the Shoguns. You know. Um, okay. So we had like good indie dev, uh, any any developers that were helping us out. We're like, hey, so what, how does this feel? And they, they just rip us to shreds. <laughs> isn't isn't that dangerous though? Because they aren't really the people who play these games. You know, no. I just feel like I've talked to indie developers, and I feel that's really dangerous because they yeah they give you some insights, but it's so, you know, their their tastes and functions are so different than someone who's going to be the the casual iPhone developer or casual iPhone player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, we we always take advice with a grain of salt. You know, yeah. um, we we don't just go verbatim like, oh, this guy doesn't like this, so we should just rip out this system. Because <laughs> um, uh, actually, that actually happened once where we we really went into a panic and we almost ripped out our entire story and replaced it. <laughs> uh, that's true. But, but but we we took we took a little bit from from every strata because like you said the mobile game market is is pretty diverse and and there are a ton of casual game players so we did take it to other people as well um, I, I think their input was very important though because they could take a, a very game engineering perspective towards it and sure. okay. having peers they could be like well this is confusing that's confusing the color coding between the different elements doesn't make sense um, okay so they they understand the craft more so. Yeah, they exactly. can kind of tell you some of the little details that do make a huge difference. Yeah, and, and we did test it on casual gamers as well. Um, just various friends, you know, we have people who love Bejeweled or they love um, uh, other games like um, Battle of the Clans. And we would have them take a look at it and be like, well, I, I, I can use the interface. And that was one of the adoption things we really wanted to hit, make sure that it's easy to play. Okay. And, and then well, they're like, well, I don't know what, what I'm really doing. And we're like, okay, so we need a pretty elaborate tutorial system to, to 
ease them into the game. Sure. And did you then remove all time elements, or what? Or do you have any time elements in the game now? Uh, the only time element we have now is uh, when you purchase a boost. There's a 15 minute time frame to encourage players to play a little bit longer. Okay. <laughs> but cool. that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's no other timers in in, in the battle system. It well the, the AI will punish you if you go to turn 30. <laughs> okay. That kind of it stuff, depends. But. Yeah, and that's not really time based. It's turn based. So. And how long did you aim to make this RPG on mobile? I mean, was that also a concern or? Was it going to be like six to eight hours? Was it going to be one hour? What What are your well, thoughts on that? You know, we actually had no idea exactly. Uh, we didn't have a set goal when we first came out and did it. Uh, we were just like, okay, well, we want to make a game that has some kind of quality to it. The time actually wasn't very important. Like, we didn't sit down and say, we're going to make a four-hour RPG. Nothing like that. Um, we just started just putting content in, thinking like, okay, this is the story. Let's just make the game. And then... Uh, We'll play it and, and time ourselves. And when we did, it took about uh, ten hours on a speed run. Wow! Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, how do you add that much content? I mean, that's. I mean, I look. Not, I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm saying that more of like, that's crazy. You know, like. Um, oh, I didn't think it was that long. Yeah, I thought it was like. I well, we- I wasn't sure because I think about okay. So before, like RPGs, supposedly they were like really long, like forty hours or something. And then supposedly recently. You know, these company or I've heard of some companies that are trying to make it shorter, you know, because the, the audience needs a shorter thing. So they went down to like 10 hours. And I'm just wondering if for mobile, if it even needs to be shorter, you know, for the whole experience or maybe it doesn't. Um, I mean, that's something that I, I mean, yeah. What, what did your testing, I guess, when you were testing with the casual players and other non-game developers, what, what was the response then? Like once you had it all ready to go? Well, we, we when we first when we were developing all the content, we didn't really shoot for any particular milestone. We, we it just kind of grew organically. Uh, more towards we were more focusing on the actual bite sized elements of the RPG, because I, I feel that if if any player really loves a game, they'll spend more hours on it. So if we're able to maintain the first ten minutes of gameplay to to catch your your attention, then maybe you'll give us another three. Then okay. if the next three are pretty good, you'll give us maybe another three. So we sort of focus on this like very bite-sized elements of presentation. Like each battle can be done based on your choice. There's no random encounters because we knew if you were like walking like down the street and all of a sudden you got this buzzing on your notification on your phone, hey, you're in a random encounter. Very annoying. Um, so it was really based on choice. Will you give us another three minutes? So a lot of our stories are, are not drawn-out cutscenes. Okay. They're very skit-based. So the moment you beat a boss, we throw you into a skit, and then you have the characters, they're talking to each other. We, we, we try to harness their, their emotional states so that you kind of get a, a, a not a vanilla feel about all the characters, but each character have their own special personalities, and you get to see how they interact with each other. And, and that should not take more than like a minute or two minutes for that particular skit to move you into the gaming interface so that you can pay for your coffee, and then you can move on, or you can play with it when you get home, or you're taking a five-minute break. And so so, uh, were there any other changes you needed to make to, I guess, make it more mobile-friendly and accessible to um, mobile, mobile players? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when we first started, we were planning to do this uh, story roadmap so that if you were to leave the game and then come back a week later... You could read up on uh, all these like different 
things that have gone by. And then we were like in a huge crunch and we were like, well, you know, how important is this thing? <laughs> and we were just like, okay, it's not as important. And what we did to substitute that is uh, now we have a note, like literally a dialogue that's on the world map that tells you exactly what your next goal is. Um, okay. That from um, Grand Theft Auto, basically type of type of mission uh, uh, reminders. You know, you constantly yeah. know what your goal is. And yeah. once we started implementing that in, actually the story roadmap became unnecessary because I knew exactly where I was and what I needed to do. Yeah, some of the users, when we actually told them about what the story roadmap would be if we had implemented it, is you have to go into this menu, then the menu will tell you what happened previously. You can take a look at the entire story narrative up to the point that you played it. And then a lot of people be like, well, that's kind of confusing. And then we're like, you know what, that, that actually is quite confusing because then you have to go into a menu. And in the mobile market, I think it's just there's very short amount of time, which actually yeah. is pretty good element because then you don't have to build so many mechanisms. <laughs> but uh, it's just you load the game, this is what you need. And it's your choice if you want to do it or if you want to go around and fight additional battles to acquire more resources. And it's just giving the mobile player as much freedom as possible so that they can choose how they want to receive their content. And um, so when you kind of had the beta version ready for the casual players, how did they respond to the hacker theme? Because, you know, that's a, that's a different theme. Well, um, yeah. Yeah, what were your thoughts on that? Or what? Yeah. Um, uh, we had one person where their response was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I like it. <laughs> um, it, it was a new theme. It, it was it was an RPG, and a lot of people. When we first created the very first alpha beta build of it, um, we didn't really have the the sixteen um, bit characters on the top portrait of the screen. Because when the characters are attacking, you're attacking this webcam view of what's happening in somebody else's data center. And, okay. and before that, we just had a, a still image, and you're attacking it, and it's like, okay, it doesn't really feel good. But once we created that eight bit character, they're like, they're like, you know, like this, this is very disconnected. I don't know what I'm doing. But as soon as we created that portrait, we had people walking around. They're like, oh, I'm attacking these servers that these people are managing. Yeah. There, there was definitely this very difficult theme for us to tie in this virtual world damage. Yeah. Different from like a, a dragon that you can stab. You can't really stab a PC. It's like sitting in the corner. So of the that eight bit character was that just a reflection of say the sysadmin? That's running the data centers. Uh, yeah, or, it can be, or it could be another black hat hacker. Sometimes it's okay. A, sometimes it's a robot. You know? Yeah. So we create okay. a few. We have like students. We and as students. as you're attacking them, you get to, do you get to visually see them getting yeah. hurt or? Yep. Okay. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh yeah, no. I just wanted to confirm if that metaphor then worked a lot better for the players versus um, just like you're hacking a kind of an abstract computer or something. Yeah, uh, I told James, you know, the minute that he implemented that system in, I was like, hey, we got a game. I actually feel like it's a game now. Uh, I didn't have to visualize everything in my mind. And with, with the the positive reinforcement that happens when you go and attack something and you see the reaction, like uh, our little character actually run around on servers are on fire. You know, there's people <laughs> falling, you know. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we, we, we decided to make it a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like the characters actually panic. Like if they're at hundred percent health, they're they're like okay. They're just sitting in front of the computer, raising their hands up and down. Yeah. When they hit like fifty percent, they start walking around. Then when you're hitting like twenty, they're like racing across the room in sort of a panic. <laughs> um. Okay. And and so 
Were there any other visual changes you needed to make to make it more accessible than to say casual players? I mean, yeah. I think it's I think it's interesting to note how you know some of these little details. I mean, it's good to talk about them because I know people know that details can make a huge difference, but just even how you visualize a battle scene or how you're doing it or even removing the time mechanic can make a huge difference in accessibility. Um, so it's, it's fascinating to just talk about that. Um, but I wasn't sure if there's anything else that's also that you found like just changing that or adding that made a huge difference too. Uh, yes. Um, th th oh, there's tons. <laughs> this is um, a long game. <laughs> yeah, we've had lots. Well, of would you say what were what would you say are the top three changes you made based on feedback that really made the game either more clear, more fun, or more accessible? Our story. Well, the, in, in terms of in terms of the battle mechanism, because we have these different subsystems. We have like a cutscene, a battle. We have like the level inventory system. And then we have like the world lore where you can visit various towns and talk to other people on forums. Uh, just the battle alone. Um, one of the things that really helped is because we're on a mobile space and you're sort of holding the phone in a portrait fashion, we can delineate the fact that it's you versus them by placing the player on the bottom and placing the enemy on top. Okay. And that happens in a lot of games, and it, it just it just felt even more natural when we did that on the mobile space. Absolutely. Uh, rather than like a left versus right side, because then when we were debating, oh yeah, portrait versus landscapes, like, well, are we on the left or on the right side? Because you know, Final Fantasy and whatnot, it's always left versus right. Yeah. So well, that worked really well. Um, another thing was um, when for for our inventory system, you know, making sure that we have the the visuals that are proper is we kept like all of the controls on the bottom, like one of our very first prototypes, we had sort of like this weird dialogue. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like, it was like almost like an address book looking thing. Yeah, but, but it wasn't fully intuitive. So then now it was like, well, how do we make a GUI interface and make sure that the user knows what they're doing? Um, and so we, we had like menus within menus initially, and that didn't work out very well. So we had to make everything available on the lowest number of layers that you have to go into so it's like okay. one tap to get into the menu it's one tap to get into the inventory it's one tap to get into and you don't have to go into the character skills and then pick a character you can pick one or character okay okay hang on oh go ahead no, go ahead. What? Um, oh, no, I was just going to say that you kind of cut out uh, the last five or ten seconds. Can you just say what you're going to say? Oh, uh, oh, what you were saying? Yeah, we, the, we wanted to make the inventory system and, and any, any menu system very easily accessible. Oh, yeah. So we wanted to make sure it was one tap to get to anything you wanted within the game. And, and if, we saw that the deeper we made that number of menus, the more difficult it was for people to actually play the game. Okay. And so, so once you finished the game, you know, you talked about, uh, like, you know, what did you decide to do next? Uh, is it on the App Store yet? Um, well, no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's available March 18th. That's going to be our official launch date. Okay. And, um, okay, so March 18th. Um, and what, I guess, are there any other things that you're doing now to promote the game? You know, because part of it is making the game. Yeah. But what are you doing to market it? Oh boy. Yeah, we're we're definitely trying a lot of things, uh, you know. Uh since uh this is our first 
game ever, you know, it, it's actually hard to just come out and say, hey, we're, we're a game company and get taken seriously. Yeah. Uh, we do have a, a product and, you know, so that at least authenticates us. But um, are you, well, are you selling it? I know you said you're going with the paid model. What, uh, what's the price point for it? Uh, well, the game will normally be three ninety nine, but for our launch, we're going to be pricing it at one ninety nine. So we're hoping that's going to be a good value buy. You get twelve hours of gameplay uh, to to get to the end of the story, and then we have like seven additional towers full of very difficult enemies that that we're wondering is, is if it's even beatable because we haven't beaten it ourselves yet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we tested every function in our game. Yeah. So so we're really hoping that'd be a value buy. It's a you know twelve hours gameplay. Yeah. And um, yeah, so in terms of marketing, are, you're going to GDC. Are you going to be marketing there, or are you just? Uh, yeah, actually, there's a few things that we've been doing. Um, you know, I come from being a musician, so I do have experience in in marketing in general. Okay. Uh, for a game, you know, we decided that I think one of the most important things is to try to build up a grassroots uh, advocacy and try to get you know people excited about our game. Uh, from a from a very like you know humble level of of basically going into the forums and saying, I'm an indie dev. dev. Here's my game. Uh, would anybody like to check it out? If you do, then you know, let me know. And I I, I try to respond to every single person that messages me. Uh, we also have tried doing giveaways as well. So on okay. and uh, uh, you know I don't know if you know the site Touch Arcade. Yeah yeah definitely. So, you know, we, we go onto the forum that Touch Arcade and we just start giving things away for free. And uh, one thing that we do is we utilize this technology from Splurgy, which uh, tracks basically... Um, it, um, it allows people to opt into a giveaway. And then our, 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 our strategy was it, we have zero people. So if we continuously give a giveaway and... We will have people joining the giveaway, and we're going to give them. A, uh, we're going to pick a winner, and for the next round, they're going to join again. And, and the way Splurgy works is it's it's a viral spreading mechanism that if you do a social action, get opted into the giveaway. So we wanted to build up more people. So we have we've been doing giveaways since uh, when Just did we like start? Even like November. Yeah. So we've been doing a giveaway once every month where the users from the previous one are going to broadcast us again and the users from the next one are broadcast us again. And we're going to be doing this all the way even until after launch. And I think it's been working out very well. Yeah. Uh, from starting from zero, we have uh, 667 people on our Facebook page. That, uh, like real likes. and uh, <laughs> Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in, in addition to social media, are you thinking about other uh, techniques that you're going to use to get people to download the game and also are you concerned that you're kind of building up the momentum marketing wise right now but the game hasn't been released and it won't be released until the 18th yeah i mean um i don't think that um we're building it up to the point where it's it's like you know i know what you're saying like where we build it up right now and then it deflates and yeah it. yeah exactly that's <laughs> And, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's important to start early. Uh, I think that every single person out there should start marketing their game the minute that they have some kind of a, a stable, you know, working something where they could show people. At least at least partially, like, this is kind of what my game looks like. Yeah. And, you know, and, that's, and that's what the Touch Arcade forums supposedly are good for, too, right? Exactly. Or, I mean, that's a good question. Did you 
post as you were developing it on Touch Arcade, and did that make a difference? Yeah, absolutely not. We we actually were completely incognito until about like a month ago. <laughs> we just okay. kept saying like we're going to give something away for something. <laughs> and we, we, we did hint at it, but yeah. we didn't really engage with anyone until two months ago when we created the NDDB page and we started talking to a few people. Some people private messaged us. We're like, you know, just sort of, I, I think it's important to allow people, allow gamers because we live in such a like we live in a more connected world right now than we did in the past. Yeah, and I think it's really important to have these people who would, would like to try the game and reach out to them and and have them reach out to us and, and have that two way conversation. So we're we're hoping that all these giveaways that we've done will we're going to continue doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, there's also a random one that I'd like to share. Um, like I think it was like Christmas or something like that, and I decided to go on Reddit. Uh, I I I browse there quite often, actually. Yeah. More than I admit, but um, I went on there and they have something called the uh, the gift, uh, a, a, a random act of gift, a games, yeah. random act of games, right? There's a there's a there's a Reddit, for, <laughs> and I you know at that time THQ was like going out of business, and their bundle was like twenty five bucks, and I was like you know it's Christmas. I've been working really hard. I feel like just, you know, buying one of these THQ things, just giving it away. Like, I was expecting nothing from it. But I was like, you know, as a, you know, cash in on every opportunity. So I just made, I made an account called Nameless the Hackers, you know. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I'm an indie dev, and uh, here you go. Whoever wants it, you know, just, just leave your name in the comment in here, and uh, I'm going to give you this THQ thing. And then, uh, like, by overnight, it, it kind of almost went semi-viral. Like, I mean, I had... Five six hundred people enter in. <laughs> okay. And did, did you choose the first one, or was it just a drawing out of all of them? It was a drawing out of everybody that uh, left a comment in there. But cool. uh, something uh, crazy that came out of it that was unexpected was that we we met a few people from there that actually became advocates of our game, and they knew nothing about it. And it was just because of the spirit of giving. Yeah. Uh, we got more back than what we gave. So. And. Oh, oh, actually, go ahead. I think it's actually a good model for, for. Uh, I mean, we're new to this, so we really yeah. don't know. And, and it's well, just the experience. But well, that's what I was going to also ask. Is I mean, you talk about giveaways. Are those are these mainly shirts, or are you trying to be a little oh, like, or or what do you give away? We're giving away like iTunes cards because uh, oh, okay. like it makes sense. Like the people that want an iTunes card have an iOS, so they would actually. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, that's genius, know. actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, <laughs> You know, yeah, and we also want to give away like uh, copies of like uh, Tales of Symphonia, like RPGs and stuff. But it just felt like you know, I I don't think that many people are going to sign up for that because it's not broad enough. So yeah, no, that's yeah, it's true. And you were going to say something else. It seems I think. Oh yeah, well, uh, you you hit on it already. I mean, if these people are spending money on the app store, then why not give them gift cards because they're going to spend money. Yeah. So, target- <laughs> yeah. If I make an Xbox game, I'm going to give out Xbox Live points, right? It just only makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think in terms of Boxcat, we're also um, uh, just uh, like coming from the corporate world, which I actually, anyways, corporate world. Um, you know, it's also about like your costs and making sure that we can build the next game. You know, yeah, we're, we're not expecting to make it big. So one of the things that we were thinking, well, why an iTunes gift card? Well, you know, like they always have those twenty percent off gift card times. Oh, they so do. We, okay. Yeah, every once in a while, like you'll you'll find it on like um, slick deals or whatnot, and they'll be like, hey, twenty percent off this uh, twenty five twenty five dollar gift card. We're like, hey, wait. That means you're gonna. We're gonna. We, we can give away 
a $25 value by purchasing it at 20 bucks. Yeah. And, and that's pretty good. So like for us, it was like, well, that, that works out very well. Yeah. So we took advantage of that as well. We just bought a bunch of them. Uh, well, the only issue with that is, uh, you know, it's like limit two per customer. So sure. I had to go and I had to like wear a bunch of disguises and keep, keep going into the store. Like, it, was, <laughs> it was terrible. And they were, like, they were being really stingy with it. I was like, I'm trying to spend money here. And they were like carding me. I had to bring my girlfriend and she would have to wear disguises as I got like called into like the manager's office. He's like, "All right, well, you only get to buy two. <laughs> I was like, "What?" Is- <laughs> um, yeah, and and so I guess you know, marketing is is hard. I mean, those gift cards are one part. I mean, what is something that you can do that you can just give that everyone benefits from? You know, sometimes it's just a viral video, or something else like that, where it there's no everyone's a winner because they all enjoy it. Yeah. Versus kind of like physical items or even or even money money monetary prizes where you can really only give it to one person anyways because it's just you know it'd be really expensive to give it to everyone. Absolutely. I mean if you did give it to everyone, oh my gosh, like we'd have a line out the door though. Yeah, but, uh, no, that's true. And that's the real question. If you could do something like that, that'd be huge. Yeah, I, I mean uh, I actually uh the author of a meme, uh, of a minor meme back in like two thousand and six. Uh it used to be called the Chrono Trigger mixtape. And uh, it got kind of big. Like I think we had almost like six, seven hundred thousand downloads. Uh, and that was before even YouTube was existed. Oh wow! So uh, you know, I I have a video on YouTube as well uh, that has two million hits. Uh, it's called Freaky Girls. <laughs> it's it, it's a comedy thing. But uh, you know, I I don't know what the magic formula is to get something to go viral. Uh, I always think that it has to be intrinsically interesting. Yeah, or funny or something. Or maybe I'm wrong. You know, Maybe just from the outside, it just seems like if you make a funny video yeah. that's like 30 seconds or a minute, it'll go, go viral. Yeah. But you know, Gangnam, that Gangnam video is, is longer than 30 seconds or a minute. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah that's mean, ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's a length thing because I've seen some viral videos that are like 10, 20 minutes. You know? I mean, oh, wow. Okay. I, I think that... To be honest, I think the thing is, is that it has to be intrinsically interesting that people would want to share to their friends. Yeah, and that's that's the important thing about viral videos is that you'd have to share it. So, a lesson learned from the Chrono Trigger mixtape um, is basically we made something so like disgusting. I, I took a bunch of songs from Chrono Trigger, and then um, me and my partner, and then um, we we went ahead and we it up. We, we spliced it, we added drums to it, and we added the worst rappers that we could find. Not the worst, but like, you know, we, we made yeah. it a joke. It was a joke. And you would hear like, you know, Chrono Trigger songs with like 50 Cent rapping over it. And it was just like absurd. And we thought it was a funny thing. We just released, we just like, you know, went on a bunch of like Squaresoft forms and we just like start spamming it. Like just like, hey, check it out. You know, it's kind of funny. And then uh, it just kept going. It's like, they just everyone was like wow this is really weird wow i can't believe how good it kind of sounds and it just spread from there and then all of a sudden we my web server admin kept called me and he's like what the hell are you doing because like i guess like they had downloaded like two hundred thousand copies of my 70 megabyte mp3 file um <laughs> you know it's like kind of in- insane so yeah <laughs> just, no yeah um so are you thinking about making viral videos for for this game or or what are your thoughts on that uh, I think I think doing anything viral is is cannot be calculated. It, it's yeah, just, no, that's true. I, you you can't you can't say like, well, this is gonna work or that's gonna work. I, I think the internet's a monster. You know, internet's yeah. an interesting place. It's they're pretty smart too. So yeah. 
know, I mean, you, you can't make a my viral video without having to spend a lot of money promoting it itself. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so I think in terms of like, is, is there something we can give to everyone where there's a complete win-win situation? Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I think it, I think there still is going to be risk on the indie dev side. You know, like what what can we do to help create an advocacy or or have people be interested in our title? Because I mean, we're nobodies. So yeah, um, I think the game will sell itself though, just because it'd be a ridiculous value. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So and then. Let's let's then move on to the to the indie collective that you're a part of. It seems sure. um, so. It's based in Los Angeles. Um, I guess what's <clears throat> how does the group work, and what are the benefits? Well, the the group is just a bunch of people. We just kind of gather once um, once a month, and we just have drinks. Yeah, at, at, a, at a local bar. It's mostly made up of uh, old members of uh, Pandemic Studios, and uh, when that place shut down, I think they just all. Like some of them went into indie game development, so yeah, some of them went to other studios and whatnot. I, I mean, I have to say that we're very fortunate um, that that we were able to find them, and we were very yeah. fortunate for their for their for their help. Yeah, it's actually a closed group, so yeah. Oh uh, wow, okay. <laughs> but I'm sure uh, if there's any anybody's listening, they'd be like, "Hey, I know those guys." <laughs> yeah, um, but there's also other uh, indie um, uh, meetup groups, um, drink like up. yeah, there's indie drink up, uh, game drink up. Sorry. Okay. Um, game Dev Drink Up that also happens in Santa, uh, Santa Monica, I believe. Yeah, uh, something like that in LA somewhere. Yeah. And and how many people show up to that? Oh, uh, well, the Drink Up we haven't been to. We we've always planned to, but we're like so busy crunching. But we never miss the other one, uh, the indie game meetup, and that one uh, usually, you know, it's actually growing. Like when we first went there, I think there was like six of us, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. we just took up, we barely took up a table, <laughs> and then. Um, now I think the last meeting that we went to, there was almost about maybe sixteen of us. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. We just meet, and it's it's really casual because like we'll be like, "Hey, how's it going with what you're working on?" And you know, "Oh, hey, look, you have a prototype," and we we test it out. Yeah, and, and just being part of that environment because we're both new and yeah. And and what inspired you to go to GDC then? Because like you said, you're new. Um, you're just rolling out your first game, um, and you made a. I think you're going to a game developers conference, right? Yeah, we're good. We're gonna be uh, boothing at uh, GDC Play. Okay. Uh, our, our booth is K twenty one. So if anybody's interested, uh, definitely come yeah, and check we, us yeah, out. Please come at, come Did by. you did you have to submit to get accepted there or? Uh, no, no. It's uh, uh, um, based on my understanding. Yeah. Uh, GDC Play is new for GDC San Francisco. Like they had it at the GDC in Texas. Okay. But GDC Play, they, it's like a little pavilion. And yeah, yeah. It costs three thousand five hundred, uh, three thousand two hundred fifty, to get the GDC Play kiosk. Okay. And so that was sort of a decision: like, do we do it? Do we not? That's do crazy. It? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's crazy. That's that's something we need to discuss. Yeah. Because I mean, that's bold. I mean, basically, you're saying that you had to buy a kiosk to d- to display this at GDC. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, but, and a mobile game on top of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we we had um like Steve, Steve comes from Music World and he's got many advisors. I come from the security industry, so I I also have a few mentors and whatnot. And, and one of the big advice that they told me is, you could have the best product in the world that's free, and you could put it in a room, but if nobody knows it's there, nobody will come in. You could okay. have a I, I product understand. success, a commercial failure. Okay, I understand that, um, but 
Okay, how does GDC play into that? So, so why yeah. do GDC versus <laughs> Comic Con versus Anime Con or what are some of these other conferences? Yeah, actually, um, it was it was actually my uh, stupid idea to go to GDC. Uh, I'm gonna have to take. <laughs> well, credit. it could work. I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. Look, you got to do something different. I'm just look. That's a lot of money for an indie developer, right? It is. It, I mean, yeah. I understand. Like, if you're already successful, this is your first game. This was meant to be an experiment. So. Yeah. You know that's that's courage, so it's always nice to understand, you know, the <laughs> motivations for courage because it's a risk. It could totally work. There are going to be the people there who, because yours is more of a hardcore RPG, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And you know the play the people who go to GDC potentially play more hardcore games versus casual games. Um, will will this be your first GDC or have you been to other ones? Uh, no, <laughs> actually, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you exactly what kind of insane people we are, and I'm just gonna be very. Well, he's insane. James James is probably gonna yeah he's gonna just cut me out. He's disowning me after this. But uh, okay, this is the this is the conception of Boxcat. Right? All right, I'm gonna tell you exactly the whole origin story of this. Yeah. Um, I come from you know the music world, so I'm like a drifter, like uh, like you know I'm the bard, right? Like the yeah. bard, the RPG. And James is uh, the security guy. So James, he quits his job. And me, I'm like always out of a job. So <laughs> we met on Facebook through one of our mutual friends' posts. And then I was, I was like, hey, I know this guy, James. How come you know my friend? And from there, we just actually started talking on my friend's post and not including her into the conversation at all. And then we just met up. And then we're like, let's form a game company. Well, he had a game company already. And I just kind of joined in. And then uh, we had both like just quit our day jobs. Then we're just like we're just gonna make a game. So, yeah. so after that we made the game, and then we're just taking bold risks after bold risks all the time. Um, yeah, this whole thing is a giant gamble. Okay, but okay, so I wouldn't say giant gamble. Um, well, <laughs> I, I, I've had some some experience in the security industry running yeah. a few desks. Um, so it well, was hang just... on. To be fair, though, security is a utility, right? And and yeah. games are more entertainment. They're more like music, yeah. You know, it's and and so so everyone might need security, right? Like, not everyone, but you know, enterprise can understand the value upfront. Yes, and especially if you have a unique security product or anything else like that. But for games, I I, th I feel it is a little different, you know. And I don't know, it, it, but then again, maybe your perspective from from a security field can make can give you a different insight that allows you to win versus everyone else who's thinking the same. Yeah, I mean, uh, the reason why we're so confident in our game, and, you know, we, we could be, you know, completely humbled, who knows? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but the thing is that I feel that we made a game that we truly wanted to make. We made okay. an RPG for the mobile, um, you know, because I'm a huge iOS game player. I play, like, iOS games like crazy. And there's no real RPG on there that I'm like, wow, this is really fun. Like, we have Xenonia and all these kind of things, but... It's still like I, I have to use a stupid virtual pad the whole time. <laughs> you know, I can't stand it. And so some of the confidence definitely comes from that. Like, well, yeah. we, we built something we're very proud of. How do we get it out there? And we're like, well, GDC. Do we do GDC? Let's buy our way in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But um, the, the other thing was also thinking, well, GDC is sort of a game developer conference. So you have a lot of game developers. People are very passionate about games. And I, I think the, the really awesome thing about GDC is that when we're there, we can meet all these indie devs because it's already been validated that when we met with these guys at Cofer City, that their advice is, is yeah. like, like Okay. Amazing. So to be able to connect with other indie devs, that, that's one of our main goals for GDC. 
PC. Yeah. yeah, and so so that that kiosk might be one way, right? But what about just buying um, summit tickets, which are cheaper? You know, they have like an indie summit. Yeah, I but know. I guess I guess you wouldn't stand out when you have your own kiosk. Everyone's going to come to you. Yeah, I, I think part of the reason why this podcast is happening is because it's happening. Hey, yeah, no, no, that's a really good point because I, you know, the only way I heard about this is because you probably found out that I'm going to be at GDC. Yeah, we and got you, the and, and you con, yeah, and you contacted yeah other people. So, um, okay, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, so so it'll be an experiment. <laughs> we'll, we're being aggressive as hell. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll we'll let you know how it turns out. Um, like yeah. you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think we're an open book and. Well, I mean, that's... If we don't do well, then we don't do well. Well, we'll learn something. And I think it's really important that for any indie dev, like this GDC is an experiment. If it works well, yeah. great. We'll continue doing it. If it doesn't work well, well, then we're going to have to figure out and, and, and continue iterating. Well, I just, my, my other concern is like you haven't released anything on iPhone yet. So, yes, <laughs> you've seen other people release it. So it's more theoretical. And... And, and that's a concern because it seems like you don't know what's going to hit, what's not. You know, you can have something like Tiny Wings where the guy did no marketing. He didn't even care. And it was pretty huge. And then you've got people who spent a lot of time and effort on marketing and it doesn't work. Failure, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, who knows? But I mean, that's that's good that you have that conviction that, okay, this game is awesome. And and you're you're inspired by it. Um, so I guess we'll see what happens with the marketing. And yeah, yeah, I, I have to say GDC is definitely our, our largest cost in terms of marketing. It's actually almost yeah. like a third of our entire budget of this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's and true too. You know, the other thing I was going to ask is, did you look at some of these third-party tools to develop the game? Because um, I know you used Coco's 2D, but what about Unity or some of these other tools where it could have been cross-platform or even Corona? Um, I, I went to a, a Molly Jam, a Molly Jam LA. That's what I do. And they're Peter Molodou talking to Peter Molodou. Oh, yeah. And they created this. Uh, so, so I was invited to there by, by my friend. And, and I got exposed to Unity. And I like Unity. Um, but as just a, a personal developer, because I've been developing for a while, I, it didn't have the flexibility that I wanted. Okay. I couldn't really rip apart the entire engine and get down to the lower levels of unity to, to, to change things but I, I think unity has its has its own pros and cons i mean yeah. as you said having this multi-platform multiple markets that that's very valuable especially for for an indie because you'll be able to hit all these other markets which actually right now our game cannot yeah. we have to do some porting we have to spend some time on the porting um so we tested some of these different tools and we decided on coco studio because it was it was fast it was easy it was already a mature community and and one of the major decisions was um uh, Ray Wunderlich has this awesome tutorial uh, talking about Monkey Jump and it's a full-fledged tutorial beginning to end on how do you create this game called Monkey Jump. All the art assets are provided to you, all the code, all the snippets and everything. It's really, if you if you go from step one to step to, to the final page you have yourself Monkey Jump the game. Okay. It's like, well, we can do this. So I, I think that was one of the major deciding factors. Okay. And um, so aside from the marketing... I guess, is there anything outside of the game itself that you're doing? Are you looking at doing your next game, or what's what's your focus right now? Uh, yeah, uh, our, our focus is just to get the game out and really see how it does. I mean, I think in terms of just being able to sustain yourself, we, we need to see if this works, whether yeah. or not 
the decisions we've done. So, so that's our main focus. And then why wait? Why wait till the 18th? You know, that's still right now. It's it's March 7th. Um, um, yeah, actually, uh, we 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 got in contact with uh, a few um, different groups. So I I think it's it's really important to really reach out to other um, groups uh, like yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be like, hey, you know, like we've got this game. We'd love for you to check it out. We've got the UUIDs and make sure that whole process is smooth so you get this very quick adoption. And then once they play the game, they're like, hey, I I I like this game. I'm like, great. Um, one of the posts that we read because we were doing a lot of research and make sure you do your homework. Yeah. Is that if you do if you do any type of press, you sometimes have the press, and then they can't do the call to action immediately yeah. to buy the game. So that it, it almost becomes wasted press. Um, That's what so, I was going to say. Do you want me to release this on the 18th or? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I mean, I'm fine with that. I was just because that's my concern too. It's like, look, we just talked. Uh, I, I would released love a shout this. Out on the 15th. Oh yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Because um, I was going to be like, look, I'll release this today, right? But if I release it today, people listen to it. The game's not available. What do they do? Um, but but go ahead, finish what you're going to say. Oh, so so we contacted a few people, and they're like, well, you know, we'll do a press hold for you. We're like, well, what's that? And then we did our homework. Like, oh, I guess a press hold is very valuable. Um, yes, so if if you can hold it, I, we would be very grateful. Okay. Um, but but that that helps out a lot because they're exposed to it and yeah. then they're influenced and they're like, well, I'm more influenced now than I would be in five days. So their their urge to possibly buy the actual game itself is actually a lot higher. Okay. And um, I guess yeah. Are there? You, you know, you said you did your homework for iPhone and iOS. I mean, what do you constitute as doing your homework? Did you read a lot of books from other successful app developers? Um, do you just go on forums? What do you constitute as homework? Or do you just play a lot of iOS games? Uh, any suggestions for developers out there who are also developing their own games? I played a lot of iOS games. I played a lot of them. I mean, I, my iTunes account, I probably spent like about maybe $300, $400. Uh, my Steam account, I spent over two grand. So for my side, it was really um, lots and lots of reading on the internet. I mean, I, I think we, 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 we personally feel that we owe something to the indie community because you have a lot of people on like Touch Arcade or all these other forums. They're like posting their stories. This is yeah. what I did and, and this is what I learned. And, you know, and, and I think those things help us, even though if we're not following word for word or anything like that, it, it allows us to have some experience. So that's really important. Um, we do want to give back to the community. We're going to give like a full postmortem of like what we did and what failed, um, and, and and so so that's coming out maybe a month after GDC. But we still got to get it together and make sure it's all pieced in. Yeah, not done yet. <laughs> yeah, so, so on the journey. So 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 I, that work, reading online, doing lots of reading, figuring out what other people's stories are and what they've done, and yeah, and, and nuggets of knowledge are so valuable. And listening to indie game development podcasts. <laughs> Yeah, and did you did you seek out I guess successful indie mobile game developers for their advice too? I know I know you talked to in, successful indie developers, but what about indie mobile game developers? Um, yeah, actually, I have a friend who I'm not going to name, but uh, he works at a very very large company, <laughs> a yeah, very large company as a as a product something, which I'm not going to say. Okay. Either. <laughs> yeah, but, you know he he. It, he gave advice on like if we were to create a social game, like like yeah. so our game has an ending, so a lot of it we weren't able to utilize. But you know, like a lot of people are willing to share their knowledge. I think 
reaching out to people, finding good mentors. Um, from my side, lots of mentors are like, hey, you need to understand business. Yep. And well, I think that's a very critical part. I, th- I think you, know, you have a really good point. And when it comes to business, if you look at the top iOS grossing apps, a lot of them are social games. There are a lot of MMOs. Um, and have you looked into or even considered doing something like that after that or an MMO RPG? Or? Um, uh, we don't have anything planned at the moment. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that us as a company is we're not out to like make a huge amount of money. Uh, for me, because I've always been a, a project manager, developer, whatever you want to call it back in the, the security field, is that it was never a creative outlet. So yeah. the reason why I built this company is that I could integrate with these people who have passions of, of things they want to do. So, so you'll see in the game, you, like a lot of my feelings about computer science come out through the game. Yep. And, and I think there's, there's a value to that that I yeah. think is unexplored. So I, I don't know if we'll do a social game in the future. If we do, it's going to be a very passionate one. Yeah. Um, but we don't want to do it just because it's a moneymaker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, how do you balance, you know, the initial passion with, you know, having to make it sustainable? Because I think, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm for developers. And then, you know, then there's like trying to trying to convince other people of that passion so that they can be supportive or they can even play your game or buy your game or whatever else. Um, you know, you've talked about some techniques to do that. Uh, I mean, do you feel there's other things you're going to need to do or you'll just take it as it as it comes? You, you know, you're doing pretty much the press approach, the GDC approach and then the forum approach. Yeah, I mean, um, there's an other things, too, that I've done um, that may not be conventional for indie game developers. Um, I've actually gone to like startup communities as well. Oh, yeah. And, and just went over there and started introducing myself. You know, everyone's talking about getting a VC and all that. And I'm just like, I'm games. So nobody really, really cared about me that much, but at least I introduced them to it and they're able to go ahead and, you know, at least re- recognize the name Boxcat. And I think that's the most important thing is I'm not trying to sell you the game. I just yeah. want you to be aware of it so that when you see it everywhere, you might become, you know, more interested in it as a chance. But see, with GDC, maybe you can convince them to sell the game because they're right there with their phones. Oh, yeah, yeah. You might as well try to get them to download yeah, it. That's, a little that's yeah. like 3,200, you know? Like, it would be awesome yeah. if you could make that back on the first day, which is possible because there's so many people at GDC. Yeah. And we're hoping, crossing our fingers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, if someone wants to just check it out, you know, I'd be more than willing to throw them a promo code and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, but, but talking on that topic, I, I think it's actually more important to to give the game away than to focus on, like, recouping the $3,500 because there's so many people in the world that if you just focus on like retaining the smaller amount yeah that's, that awareness won't go out uh, only for the paid model because that's well yeah and that's that was my concern is that <clears throat> since you have the paid model are, isn't there a limit on the promo codes you can give out or um yes right? there are yes 50 promo codes but they're actually not that great because you're not able to rate the app store yeah and 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 that it, it just doesn't help because you give it to them, they can try it out, and they can tell their friends, but they can't leave a rating. And I think in terms of like understanding how, like, because we buy a lot of games on iPhone, yeah. you, you look at the screenshots, you're like, hey, how is it? And then you're like, well, okay, the screenshots look good, the artwork looks good. Yeah. What's my next action? How much does it cost? It's in my borderline. What are the ratings? It's four stars. Well, the next thing is like, well, I want to look at a review. Yeah, exactly. So these promo codes don't really fix into that into that model where you can get yeah. them to actually buy it. So. 
you know, sometimes we actually have to pay for our own game to give it away. We have to actually <laughs> buy from it. I know, and, and we have to pay that Apple commission. It's just, that's just the way it rolls. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a few of our, our indie friends, they were saying, you know, Steam actually has a really good model because it's just, you want to generate a code, here you go. Oh, yeah. That helps pull them into the, um, the, the Steam community because yeah. now you're a user. Yeah. And I think Apple doesn't really have that, but we have to buy a game ourselves. <laughs> so isn't that approach kind of dangerous then for GDC because you only have a limited amount of promo codes? I mean, I guess people will see it, but I mean, uh, um, are you thinking about making it free that day? Or, or do you feel uh, that – yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, basically, uh, no, we cannot ever go free on this game. That would just defeat the purpose. Okay. <laughs> but, I, I, uh, I think we would lose a lot of advocates. And yeah. I think oh, advocates- really? Okay. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I, what's? Why do you feel you would lose advocates if you made it free, even uh, for a day? Because because people who bought the game, they're like, well, I paid this much for this. Oh game. yeah, good point. And then all of a sudden it's free. Like, why didn't I just wait? Yeah, we devalued them. You know, it's kind of yeah. like you know, when Team Fortress Two went free. You know, I, I guess the guy who bought it like the day before it went free. It's. Like- <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, I was just saying that. One one thought that popped into my mind was that since you had so much traffic during GDC, if you made it free and everyone downloaded it, it would get up to charts naturally um, because because of the number of downloads might affect you know its ranking. And then it would get picked up by, by more people because of that exposure. But that's just one approach. It may not even work. I mean, I'm sure people have tried to promote stuff at Comic-Con and it hasn't yeah. necessarily gone to the top of the charts either. So... Yeah, actually, uh, when you go into free versus paid, it's a completely different ball game. Uh, yeah, yeah. The numbers are like like times ten to, to to get onto the charts. So that's a that's rather, a really good point. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather go and just literally buy a thousand dollars worth of promo codes or whatever and just pass them out because at least that way they actually wait more. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're going to. I'm just saying that I'd rather. Uh, and and charging ninety nine cents even for the GDC days might be out of the question too. Because I know you said you were going to have a sale initially anyways. Yeah, we're going to do – well, it's actually going to be one ninety nine for for a period of time, maybe a month or two months. Sure. We'll see how it goes. Um, but then we'll bring it back up to um, three ninety nine and, and see okay. how that goes. Yeah, um, I don't think we can go with $0.99. Cents. I, I think it's just too too much for like the, the launch. It's just – Yeah, no, that's fine. I was just – I mean there's, it's – There's also a price psychology to it. It's like, oh, it's a $0.99 cent application. And yeah, like, oh, you don't really well, stand out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so one ninety nine was where we're like, okay, I think that's good. Yeah. And actually, we we got some very interesting feedback from from some users when we told them what the price was. They're like, well, it it looks like should I actually buy this? You know, like they're they're like, it, it might be like all like some other RPGs where it's not really an RPG, or they have like massive in app purchases to beat it, and then oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, they they take a gamble on it, and then they're like, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah. So, so we we wanted that price point because number one, we're nobodies, and number two, it's at that point where it's like, well, it's really just a drink at Starbucks. One ninety nine, yeah, that's a that's an impulse yeah. buy. Yeah. So we didn't want to do like seven ninety nine or eight ninety nine. I I just don't think that works very well. Okay. Um. So what would what would you say then are the top lessons you've learned as a studio, uh, doing this game? You know, the top three to top top five lessons that you've learned or suggestions that you have for other developers listening to the interview? Um, the, the very first one is is definitely control your scope. <laughs> okay. 
because um, I mean, it, it's it was it was us piling risk on top of more risk. Yeah, as that's the project. And, I mean, and, that's one of my concerns about the project. <laughs> that, thank you. <laughs> no, no, I mean, and and this is this has nothing to really do with your project. It's just that there's so many, you know, there's so many dimensions to a business to make it work, right? And it just seems like games are one dimension of that. But then, you know, like you were even talking about, there's marketing, there's distribution, there's um, polish, you know, there's like all these other dimensions that maybe hobbyists, you know, the hobbyists listening to this show, they don't understand it. Um, yeah. And and some of the, you, you were talking about your business mentors who said, you know, you got to understand business too, right? And and so that's that's why I see it as like, look, when you take risk in one dimension, like, you know, you're taking a risk with the game itself. Yep. Right? Then it becomes really hard to take risks in other dimensions. It's it's not to say that you shouldn't be taking risks in other ones, but I don't know. I, I mean, it's just like for me personally, the model that I've that I kind of like when I discuss this with other game developers, it's like, okay, you've got all these different pillars that you need to succeed. You got to make sure you get all the pillars down because if you if you're missing one of the pillars, then it's like you know a hundred like you can have a hundred times a hundred times a hundred times zero, and it's still zero. Yep. And and so when you take a risk in certain and it's good sometimes if you do innovative risks across all the different pillars, it can make a huge difference, right? You can really stand out. And at the same time, like you said, it's it's risk upon risk. It's like, but you're testing it while you're doing it, right? It's not like you haven't tested it while you're doing it. But that is the scariest part, like when you're going from idea to actual release in the market and just seeing what happens. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think like controlling the scope. I think when in in terms of business, um, we have a runway of three and a half years when we started this project. So it's not bad. That, yeah, it, it was part of the calculation. So, I mean, do are we able to do more? Are we able to do less? And luckily, we do have some savings, and, and we have you know a bit of a runway so that if we did screw up, we can try again. Okay. And I, that has to go into the business calculation because if you don't calculate that and you just put all your eggs in one basket, then you're taking even more of a risk. Yeah, and that's that's what I – like when I've interviewed some other developers, that's kind of the situation sometimes where it's just like, okay, this game's either going to – It's very work. common. Yeah. And and that's good that you clarify that. I mean, then then it's like, okay, well, you've still got a lot of time to figure out how to make it work. And yep. that that's awesome. <laughs> um, so, okay, so that's okay, so that's that's one lesson. Um any other lessons? Um the other one is definitely prototyping, access friends, uh really like do not be afraid to kill your own baby because I mean, when you create a game, it's it's intimate. Yep. This is your game. This is an extension of yourself. It's a piece of art. Yeah. And, 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 and when we were doing it, we are like, this, is, this idea is gold. This idea is awesome. And we were talking to ourselves and, you know, sort of you know, really boosting our own morale. But there, there are these times when you really have to just say, you know what? Is this working? Is this fun? Yeah. And, and if, if, you're, if you're in your own uh, view of the world, it, it kind of has too much emotion. And you need a little bit more of this um, uh, just being more objective. So reaching out to people, getting that feedback, and, and being objective about yourself, I think that that was really important because throughout this entire project, I mean, if I had to say, like, how many different prototypes have we created? We created, like, 10-something prototypes, yep. and nine of them were, were, were okay. Uh, two of them, well, two of the nine were really, really bad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing that's important is basically uh, having a partner, I think, 
I mean, I know a lot of indie game developers out there are running solo. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely something I noticed too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. I couldn't even imagine trying to do this solo. Well, even I think I think that's maybe one of the reasons why a lot of these, a lot of indie or hobbyist developers fail, is because having a partner, you can kind of like like you said, just talking to yourself is dangerous. Even talking amongst your team for too long is dangerous. You know, getting feedback from other people and having someone right there alongside you when you don't have fans or customers or whatever else, uh, see, I mean, it, it helps. It can, oh, you know? Oh, no, it, it definitely helps. I mean, there, there are times where me and Steve, you know, like, we would just get into arguments. No, this is better. No, that's better. <laughs> yeah. We'd fight and then we'd like, okay, and we'd calm down and cool down and be like, okay, you know what? You're, you're absolutely right, you know? And yeah, or, or you'd be right, you know? And, and you know, it, it's it's definitely like a marriage where you know sometimes. You're on a joke. No, I mean, well, it's a business marriage, right? And no. uh, uh, but it's, it's true. Okay. Yeah, it's like a marriage, and 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 you know sometimes you want to choke each other out. Sometimes you think that person's like the greatest person ever. You just yeah. it's it's really just um, it's a partnership. It, making a game is a is a monumental task. So unless you are very disciplined and know exactly what's going on. Um, you know, you need sometimes you need that person to bounce ideas off of and be like, "Am I am I dumb or is, well, is this really work?" You know, one of the challenges is that it's hard enough for one person to focus on a game for nine months, right, or, or seven or eight months. I mean, how do you convince someone else to really help you without you know paying like you know yeah. full salary and all this other stuff? I mean, because you know the partnership aspect can definitely help. Yeah. And yeah. You know, we've seen even in the games industry, some sometimes partnerships have helped, even with John Carmack and Romero, um, and some other teams. But you know, you also have individuals. But it seems like collaborative game design helps a lot more than just independent, purely solo effect. I mean, the solo effect has also worked too. I'm not. I'm not denying that. Yeah, we have we have friends. You know, like like Brendan from Blendo. He, he's yeah, a solo artist right there. Amazing guy, triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He actually comes from the film industry <laughs> and learned to program. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but yes. Uh, how do you, how do you get people to collaborate? You trick them. You tell them it's two months. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I don't, no. It's for real. I mean, because if you tell someone it's going to take eight months, honestly, I don't know if they would go on the journey in the first place. No, and at wouldn't. the sa- and at the same time, you're. I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I mean, I wanted. You want to be honest. Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I, I think. Um. But. But. I mean. It's sort of a joke. I, I, we. We actually do have a. We actually have a signed contract between us. Yeah. That states. You know. If we ever get an argument, what. What are we going to do? Okay. If we can't decide, what are we going to do? What are our revenue shares and what are our minimum time commitments? That. I, I think that just has to be settled. It, it's something that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to even discuss because it's just not very nice to talk about. That needs to. That needs to happen. Because like we were on. Um. Uh, on startup, which is another forum, you know, looking at you know how how many different other startups and why do they fail? We have like different scenarios, like the the the, the missing founder scenario, or yeah. like the person who decided to become a monk and then he comes back. Hey, I own one third of the company. Yeah, everybody else has already put in their hard work. So so we we had something written that says this is what's going to happen. These are our contingency plans. Yep, and from there it was just okay now we can be very realistic with each other and say how long is this going to take and that document also states that we were going to attempt a four-month game okay. and when we did that we're like okay well now now as a team we're all mutually communicating do we continue or do we stop 
and and it was always a team decision. So so at four months, you had to have a talk where you're deciding, look, do we continue or do we stop? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. I had that talk like almost uh, every month, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, that's important. I mean, communicate. I think that's one of the trade-offs. People are like, well, you know, if I have a partner, I have to communicate. But look, it's part of keeping yourself motivated too. Yeah. I think doing absolutely. it. I mean, you know, oh, sorry, not to cut you off. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, that, I have to say that we are blessed by being in 2013 and having, um, and I'm going to use a buzzword right now, cloud services. But it's true. We yeah. had a lot of these, you know, we had Dropbox going on. We had something called Trello that. Uh, oh like, yeah, you know, like these these tools were were absolutely like crucial for our success, and you know, we had like uh, all these like uh, you know James is a is a file maniac, so he likes to make files all the time, and and by yeah. files I mean like he he drew out like just massive schedules that it was like unreadable to me, and. <laughs> It's like, all right, you're assigned to these things. And it's just like a development task list. But, you know, I'm a musician. I'm like, what the heck is this? I can't yeah. even read anything. <laughs> so, so, so we kind of understood each other's strengths and complemented each other. And, and, and these tools are just very, very valuable for that coordination, the communication aspect. Yeah. Because with that, then it's like, well, where do we go now? What are we going to do next? So there's definitely a lot of pros and cons to having a partner. Yeah, we also had a three-time. Uh, 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 every week we had three Skype meetings and one person in-person meeting. It, it's very important that we did the in-person meetings too. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I think part of our postmortem, and, and love to love to give um, give you access to it. Sure. Is that when we actually, you know, one of us got sick, and we're like, well, okay, I'm sick, yeah. and then we didn't have the Skype meetings, and just you could just see the productivity go down. Well, wait. Like nobody did anything for like a whole week. <laughs> You're right. Skype meetings, though, when you talk about Skype meetings, what about the in-person meetings? I mean, couldn't the Skype meetings just substitute for the in-person? Do you really no. need the in-person meetings? The in-person is crucial. The Skype meetings actually, at, at one point, the Skype meetings were actually um, hindering us. Yeah, it was not productive because we would just go on the tangents and, and not tangents like related to nothing else. It was tangents about the game, but we'd be talking about the design over and over again and nobody's actually getting any work done. Okay. Once we got in person, it wasn't like that. It, it was just kind of like, okay, you do this, you do that, and I'm going to do this. And we could talk and do it at the same time because, you know, you know on Sky, you, know, you, you might be watching TV while someone else is chatting or playing a game. Or, you know, like nobody can yeah. do it. But when in person, if you do that, it's kind of, uh, you know. <laughs> and and it, it also brings up the accountability because it's like, hey, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, and then we're going to have a face-to-face meeting. And at that point, you're, you're so held accountable and yeah. you don't empty-handed. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I think the, 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 the Molly Jam was really educational for me because it was two days and everybody was extremely productive. So okay. whenever face-to-face, it's like another game. Yeah. I, the other question, though, is, you know, you talked about 2013 and, and having cloud services. Did you look at outsourcing some of the work to get it done, or did you feel that you needed to do it together? Actually, we, we did. Um, we, um, we, 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 want, we, want, we made sure that the things we wanted to outsource were, were, were clearly discussed. So in terms of the game, we, we did pull the DeviantArt community. And, and I think BoxCat, in terms of how I want to run um, this community, is that nobody is going to be hidden in the credits. You load our game. There's a contributor button. You tap it. It lists everybody who contributed to the game. Okay. Artists, personal forums, go to their DeviantArt site. And, and a lot of these people are freelancers. I think everybody's just trying to feed their families and, and take care of you know the people around them. So yeah. they shouldn't be hidden in the credits. We want them out there exposed. We want to bring them more business. We're indie as well. 
Um, so that's one of the philosophies. And it, yeah, bringing that together was very important. Okay. Uh, we brought special talent, you know, not just some factory, you know, just churning out artwork. Like these people brought their personalities and contributed uh, their own personal styles, you know? Okay. In terms of like outsourcing software, that, that was something we wanted to keep internal. Um, okay. Because working in the security field, at least, I, I don't know how it works in the gaming industry, and I don't, uh, so I, I, I'm not sure. But in the security field, you have a lot of different organizations that just will, will take money and they'll give you something, but the communication's even worse. It, it's hard. Yeah. No, it, you, you do have to find the right people. Absolutely. So okay. it's hard to talk about these GUI interfaces, user feedbacks, and it, it's just much better to keep that in house. Okay. Um, yeah, any other lessons then, or were those the main lessons? Um, yeah, those are the main ones. Also, uh, you never know who you're going to meet, so just try to meet everybody. <laughs> okay. Yeah, never be, Never have any reservations about telling everybody that you're making a game. I think uh, I think I like five of my friends befriended me because I would tell them so much on Facebook, you know. I just, <laughs> I, I don't stop talking about it, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and where can listeners then find out more information about your game, potentially download it or check it out on, on the App Store? Um, you, can, you can check us out on IndieDB. Uh, okay. IndieDB, we've got a lot of content on there, screenshots. We've got our video uh, trailer. Okay. And what would, they, what would they type in? Yeah, uh, well, you would go to uh, gdc.box.cat, like C-A-T. So okay. we we got the domain box.cat, you know. Yeah, okay. we, we were lucky. <laughs> okay. There's no .com or anything. Uh, it's actually a Cantalon. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, we also have a giveaway right now in case they wanted to check it out. They didn't want to spend a dime. Uh, they sure. have pretty good chances. And, uh, you know, basically you go to box.cat and then uh, just, just enter the contest. And we're giving away 50 copies of our game and a bunch of iTunes cards and other good stuff. So, yeah. Okay, great. And then... For and and the game's going to come out then on March eighteenth, right? Yep, yep, that's right. Okay, and if they're if they're on the App Store, what do they type in to find it easily? So it's uh, the first result. Nameless is enough. Uh, then yeah. you'll okay. see was the hackers RPG. Uh huh. Okay, great. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Action. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.